Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're going to begin with verse number 16 uh, tonight. Hallelujah, good to be in the house of the Lord. Feels like it's been a helter-skelter day. Amen, just a lot of things going on. Amen, but good to be here in the house of the Lord. Been already to the funeral home tonight, and that always just sets my mind. I'm just morbid. I just kind of think about the end of life and the brevity of the years I have on this earth uh, whenever I go to places like that and about the years of those that are around me, the years that they might have left on this earth as well and not really knowing any hour that our moment could be. Could be. This could be the last service some of y'all are in tonight. You could be at my funeral this week. Or I might be preaching yours this week. Which could be the last time we get to see one another. Amen. In this setting, or even better than that, perhaps the rapture could take place. Amen. The catching away, as the scripture terms it, of the church. Catching away of the church. I want to be ready. Acts 16, verse 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days, but Paul... Being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out the same hour. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. Amen. Our objective tonight is to finish up chapter number 16 here this evening and how appropriate I want to teach us tonight about prayer and deliverance prayer and deliverance and deliverance father I come to you this evening God I'm grateful Lord Jesus for those who have made intentional purpose Lord to be in the house of the Lord God touch them in their lives I pray, God, today, let it not be time, Lord, no time that we come to your house is time wasted. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, bless them in their endeavors. I pray, God, let your spirit touch our minds and our hearts afresh. God, I pray, Lord, as we look again into your word, we know, Lord, in it there is life. God, there's eternal life. God, if we'll accept it, if we'll receive it, if we'll internalize it. God, I pray, Jesus, you have to help us, Lord, tonight to do so. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated. Someone say he's coming back. back. Man, he is. I want to be ready. We went to we went to that uh, stood in for probably I don't know. I'm thinking it was about an hour and a half stood in line to to get to the casket tonight. And uh, we kind of grabbed something to eat on the way back across this direction. And uh, Trevor, by the time we got to Mount Carmel, had ketchup from here to there, you know. And, and left some and didn't notice it till we got close to town. So we had to drop by the house in order to be ready for church. And then while I was there, I noticed I'd got some things on me too. And I had to change shirts. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering though, we was trying to get here because we knew it was about time. And it was just last minute we caught that there were some things on us that needed to be rearranged. <laughs> and I, I'm wondering if some of us ever once, I didn't even know that I had some things. I was too busy pointing out what Trevor had on his shirt. I was. I said, man, you got a big old splotch of ketchup right on yours. And I walked in the house and I had a little dribble here and there. But you know what? That was enough not to be presentable before you. This ain't my lesson, but it's a good talking. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Well, Acts 16 is where we're at. Amen. Considering what, what Paul and Silas and those others that are grouped with him, Timothy and Luke, have ran into here a damsel that is possessed 
with a spirit of divination. This is not the first time in our Acts study that uh, men of God, people that are trying to do right in the sight of God, has been uh, opposed, if you will, or confronted with uh, evil, wicked, false spirits. If you'll remember just a few chapters ago, although I know it may have been several weeks since we was there, but a few chapters ago in Acts 13, the, the grouping was Paul and Barnabas, and you'll remember they attempted to expound the word of God to Sergius Paulus, the Bible says, because Sergius Paulus desired that. They were going to expound the word of God to him in the process of doing so. They were met or confronted by a false prophet, false prophet by the name of Bar-Jesus or Elimaeus, that tried to turn then Sergius Paulus, the man that was desirous of the word, tried to turn him away from the faith. So they he confronted Paul and Barnabas and uh, was in opposition to them. And so now, here in Acts 16, three chapters later, we have Paul and we have Silas and Luke and Timothy. They are headed to prayer. They're headed to prayer and a damsel possessed with a spirit divination begins to frustrate them. There's something that I can pull real quickly from this when I read this, and this isn't the only time, but we see it in other places of Scripture, and that is this. Just write it down in your mind that opposing spirits will crawl out of every crevice whenever God's people are going to either practice wielding the Word or going to God in prayer. Mark it down. You will be opposed when you try to ingest the word or try to go to prayer you will be opposed and so both of these these things concerning the word of God and prayer they're both spiritual matters they're both spiritual matters Paul to the church at Ephesus one of the key components of the armor of God he went through a list of the whole armor in Ephesians 6 one of the key components to the armor of God was the sword of the spirit which was what which was the word of God. He told the church in Corinth, he said, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, he says, my spirit prayeth. Whenever you're praying, not with your words, but you're praying in tongues, the spirit is praying through you. So when we talk about prayer, we talk about the word, they are both spiritual matters spiritual matters and so in act 16 this is just one example among several letting us know that we cannot attempt or endeavor to go to prayer without being opposed by wicked sly foul spirits you ever ask yourself why is it so hard just to pray every day because when you set your mind to do that, you awaken the spiritual world. Yes. Well, I, Brother McGee, I have such a hard time every day just getting that daily prayer in. Or it seems like every time I'm going to, you know, the garbage disposal will mess up. Or somebody's going to call or this or that. And I'm not talking about people that's calling you or evil spirits. But I'm saying the enemy wants to throw any obstacle in the way in order for you to just refrain from praying. Because when you go to prayer, you're doing something spiritual. When you go to prayer, you're doing something that goes beyond the natural and enters into the realm of the spiritual. And that messes up the climate of Satan. Likewise, when you read your Bible, I, I just sit down sometimes and I start reading and my mind goes everywhere. I, I, I read the same verse five times. Huh? My mind goes here and I'm thinking about the laundry that needs to be done, the dishes that need to be done. I'm thinking, I, you know why? Because reading the word of the Lord, ingesting the word is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. And he's going to do it, folks. I'm just telling you, just this is the, the writing on the wall. Anytime you try to pray, anytime you try to go to the word, Satan, through it might be little means or large means, is going to try to deter you from that because that is stirring up something within the spiritual realm that the temperature starts to go up in his world and he can't stand it. He would much rather have a professing Christian that didn't pray and didn't go to the Word because there's nothing spiritual about just being Christian without prayer in the Word. He's not nervous over somebody that's just a Christian that goes to church. Amen. He's worried about those that are praying. He's worried about those that are ingesting the Word because that messes up his spiritual atmosphere. 
like it. Don't like it. I'm not mean to get, I, I'm, I'm warming up for GMC. The preacher's coming out already in me. In Daniel 10, verses 12 through 14, do you know, some, many of you should know this. We, we've hit on it, of course, in our series in Daniel. But Daniel says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before the, thy God, thy words were heard, and I come for thy words. Daniel was practicing a time of, uh, of mourning, of fasting, of praying for 21 days, for, for three weeks. He has been doing that, and he said, here's what the angel said to him. He said, the first day. The first day of the 21, when you set your heart to understand, when you chastened yourself by, by, by fasting, you chastened yourself by fasting. He said, thy words were heard, and I come for your words. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and 20 days. We're not talking about a natural prince here. We'll come to find out why, because of the help. The help that this angel got, amen, to take care of this prince. It's not a natural prince. He withstood me 21 days, but lo, Michael, that's an archangel. That's an angelic thing, not a natural, angelic. One of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Verse 14, now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many Days And so the angel's explaining to Daniel, I know you've been fasting. I know you've been praying. I know you've been mourning. I know this has happened quite some time that you've done that. He says, I'm just to let you know that the first day, everybody say the first day. He said, the first day when you set your heart like that, the first day when you started pass, uh, uh, fasting, the first day that you spoke words, he said, whenever all that happened, he says, I'm come for them. He said, but I want you to understand that the first time you did all of this, that I heard your words. Your words were heard. I want to bring some consolation to someone tonight and tell you this, that when you pray, your prayer is heard the moment. That's important. The moment it is prayed. When you pray, heaven hears immediately what you have prayed. Now, the answer may be withheld. The answer may be withheld. It might be held up. But the words of your prayers were heard immediately. There might be a, a delay between the asking and the granting or the question and the answer. But there was no delay in heaven hearing what you just said. See, since we don't get an answer, we say, well, they didn't hear me. You got it wrong. Heaven heard you the moment it left your lips. The moment it passed over your tongue and your teeth and entered it, it, heaven heard it. Now, your answer might not come at that moment. Maybe it will. But the fact of the matter is I got great confidence and trust in knowing the moment that I open my mouth in prayer, heaven is listening, heaven hears, heaven knows. I don't have to repeat myself. I don't have to be redundant. Yeah. Heaven heard when I prayed. There's some consolation in knowing that. But see, humanity, we don't think people hear unless they give us some type of response. That's the, way, that's the way I treat my wife. I say something, I say, you know, there's a pause, there's not a quick answer. I'm like, dear, did you hear me? Dear, did you hear me? Don't I do that, dear? Do it often. Dear, did you hear me? And she might say, and she might have been doing something else. She says, yes, I heard you, I just haven't responded yet. But we equal having been heard with a response. No, 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 no. We got to get in this trust factor of God that the moment we spoke it, heaven heard it. He said, the first day. I'm just now here 21 days for everything. He said, but on the first day, 21 days backwards, I heard you. Do you think some of these things in our life that it seems like, you know, I've been praying you for people. I prayed about that for five years and the answer just finally come. Well, that's true. But whenever the answer came, that wasn't the first time God heard you. God heard you five years prior when you first ever started praying that. How do you think then that he told even Cornelius, these prayers have come up before me as a memorial? How could that be possible that you could stockpile that? It's because the first time Cornelius ever parted his lips in prayer, he said, I heard it. 
heard it. So the moment you pray, God hears. See, do you understand why you're going to be opposed by spiritual forces to keep you from praying? You want to know why the devil don't want you to pray? Because the moment you do, heaven hears. I don't want them saying anything to God because they have a hearing God. They have a hearing God. I don't, I don't want them. Now, all these other folks, they can do whatever they want if they're, they're praying these false gods because that don't mean a hill of beans. But whenever they're praying to a hearing God, first time they speak it, he's heard. <laughs> he's, he's heard. And so the answer may come. There's places in Scripture it came instantaneously. There's other places in Scripture like here that there seemed to be a delay. But what is comforting to know is that I'm heard the moment that I pray. And so it's in this Scripture then in Daniel that we see there is a real spiritual world whenever it comes to prayer and fasting and things of that nature. There's an unseen world of battles going on. We, we walk along in this life, but what we don't understand is above our heads in the atmosphere, there's warfare taking place. There's warfare taking place. And so Daniel's words were heard, the angelic being come for his words, but he was withstood for 21 days. And notice again, to see that this is spiritual, the angel said, and Michael, that's a high archangel, some spiritual had to come and yield some help and give some backup to this angel amen and so the, what we can say for certain tonight is this is that there is a connection between our prayers and the spiritual realm there is a connection between our prayers and the spiritual spiritual realm and daniel look at it daniel until this moment didn't necessarily have any intimate knowledge about this until this moment about everything that was going on although he didn't know that all the time i'm mourning fasting and 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 praying these 21 days it's happening in the spiritual world, but he does now. He didn't understand that something was being withstood in the spiritual world. All he knew was, man, I'm giving it everything I got. I'm praying every day. I'm laying this, pushing aside the plate. And he's probably played the mind games that we play. What in the world's going on? And what we sometimes do is if we're not seeing anything happen as a result of that, then we just quit. This ain't profiting anything anyway. I won't pray tomorrow. What's the big deal? But if I understand when I pray, he hears, I'm going to pray tomorrow. Because although I'm not seeing anything materialize right now, when I pray tomorrow, he hears me. When I pray the next day, he hears me. When I pray in the midnight, he hears me. When I pray early in the morning, he heard that. Sometimes you need to just stop sometimes in your prayer and just look up in heaven and say, did you hear that? If it makes you feel any better, just stop and say, did you hear that? God? Folks, I've got really abrasive with God before. I really have. I've been in some places before. Man, I got right down Nick dirty, just me and God in this place. Say, God, do you hear what I'm saying? I'm serious. If you've been outside, you probably thought there was a pastor going nuts, and I was in here. I didn't share. Did you hear what I'm saying, God? Like, yeah, I'm not deaf. <laughs> he, he heard. He heard. But our adversary does not want us praying because he's aware of the positive impacts and results of prayer whether we realize them or not. He knows them. Because if you think about it, the last recorded time in Acts 16 that they prayed or even went to the place of prayer, remember what happened? We talked about it last week. The last time they went even to the place where prayer was wanted to be made, a whole household got saved. The last time they convened at the place of prayer, a whole household God said, so he don't want people going to places of prayer. Because things happen when we go to places of prayer. As a matter of fact, one of the tricks of the enemy is this. It's to make the prayer warrior second guess the impact of their prayers. It's to make the prayer warrior at least be, at least be blinded to the impact of their prayers. 
And again, it's like I said earlier. Why? Because people are more apt to quit doing things when they don't see any results. So he wants you to second guess that it's doing any good. Or things are taking place and you're just kind of like blinded that there's any impact that's taking place and you don't even realize it. He wants just to blind you because if he can get you to feel like this is not doing anything, you'll hang up the towel, throw on the towel, and go on and live your life void of any spiritual activity. Now, Daniel, Daniel's difficulty was that he faced opposition in the realm of the spirit. There was that going on. Okay. Watch this, though. Paul had, had that aspect, too, but it materialized itself in the natural. Paul's problem was that he had a damsel with a spirit of divination that was in agreement. Watch this. There was nothing the lady said wrong. These are men of the Most High God. Show you the way of salvation. There was nothing wrong in that. So he was facing a problem of agreement in the realm of the natural that had a force of the supernatural behind it. Because, see, what was agreeing with Paul and Silas here, though, was being dictated by a foul spirit. Now you, that's the most dangerous. You know why? Because we all know Satan is a liar and the father of it. So what's going on here if you're getting agreement from something that is supernaturally wicked? You either have joined the forces of the liars and cheaters or you being deceived. Huh? Now watch with me here. So they, they, there's this agreement here. There's nothing wrong that the, the, the lady said. What she said was true. They were men of the most high God and they would shoo the way to salvation. But she's being driven by a spirit of divination, which literally means this in the Greek, that the spirit of divination is a spirit or, if you will, a python. A python. Now, something that these people would absolutely be able to relate to is the concept of a python. These are greatly Gentile Greek people, and so they leaned upon, believed in, uh, took into their arms Greek mythology. Whenever you look at Greek mythology, uh, many of this culture, of course, was acquainted with that. Uh, there, there, was, there was a place called Pytho in Greek mythology and a dragon named Python who was known for guarding the oracles of Delphi. All right, now just stay with me. Now, oracle in this sense, in the occult uh, spiritual wickedness sense, means this. Uh, oracle is a place where mediums consult demons or it means the revelations that the demons give. And so Delphi, at Delphi, there was this huge, in Greek mythology, huge temple, monstrosity of a temple. And in this temple, there were priestess, and these priestess were conjuring up demons and giving out information. So in other words, Python was a dragon that served as a guardian for the seat of divination. This girl has a spirit of divination or the spirit of Python, she is the guardian. The spirit that she is being possessed or influenced by is the guardian of all of these oracles, of all of these revelations, if you will. Amen. Consulting and conjuring up demons. Now, that's great on the Greek mythology side. I went just to the natural side, okay? As many times in Scripture, that's the way it is. We learn from the natural about the spiritual. True. Amen. And so whenever I looked at Python concerning the snake, the reptile, Python, a python is a non-venomous snake. It's not poisonous. Python's not poisonous. As a matter of fact, they say that it's even a rarity. Just listen to me. It's a rarity for pythons to attack humans. It's a rarity for pythons to attack humans. As a matter of fact, they said... Pythons normally don't attack humans unless they feel threatened. And there's good preaching material in this. We have, a, we have a, a girl with the spirit of Python coming into the life of Paul and Silas. Amen. She must have felt, it must have felt threatened. And it says that while, while typically pythons move slowly from place to place, that they have the ability to move fast whenever they're hungry. It says pythons 
not venomous now, not, not poisonous, but they are constrictors, which means they will squeeze the life out of their prey. A python's mode of operation is that it will coil itself around its prey. And with every breath that that person takes in, they will, or out for that matter, they will just constrict around their prey a little tighter until the person stops breathing. Boy, I know I met me some pythons on the way to prayer before. They stay around for a few days. Because they're going to constrict every time. They're, gonna, they're not going in for a bite said and done, but they're going to take me down a slow death. Because very seldom does someone ever say, okay, that's it, I'm done with this prayer thing, I'm not praying anymore. No. They lessen their prayer. They start to skip days of prayer, consecutive days, weeks, months. It's a slow go. What's happening? constricting you'll skip a day okay just a little bit tighter until you don't have a prayer life you know what happens not long many times people don't have a prayer life they don't have a life serving the lord period they might be on a few but they're dead constricting constricting amen and so there's a great perhaps the spirit of this girl is feeling threatened by by paul and silas i mean they already had a household saved at prayer there's already some great things taking place. They've already followed the leading of the Spirit to come to Philip Philippi of Macedonia anyway. Remember, he was going to go this way. Spirit said no. So they're being sensitive to the Spirit. They got themselves in the air where the Holy Ghost wanted them. Satan's like, I don't like that. I mean, when you wanted to go to Bithynia, I wish you had said, oh, Holy Ghost, what do you know? And just went on to Bithynia. But you didn't. You were sensitive to the Spirit. Right. Yeah, but don't like people sensitive to the Spirit. Say, man, this is wrong. Here they are in Philippi. Amen. Feeling a little threatened here. Amen. And notice Paul, the first day that she came and spoke these words over them. Amen. Paul didn't do anything about it the first day. But the Bible says she'd done this many days. And after several days, Paul had enough. Paul had enough. And he commanded that spirit inside of that girl to come out of that girl. And commanded it to do so. I need to tell First Apostolic Church around here, there needs to be a place in your walk and relationship with God where enough is enough. If it comes to attacking of your prayer time, your Bible time, let me tell you, if it comes to any type of attack, some of y'all mess with a bunch of physical attacks, I've been there too, but somewhere along the way, you got to draw a line in the sand and say, wait a minute, enough is enough. You've done this too many days, you old scythe. Somebody in the realm of the Spirit tonight needs to let the adversary know, I'm on to you, boy. I'm on to you. And enough is enough. Yes. Yes. He commanded that thing. Cast out of that girl. She's been squeezing. The Spirit's been squeezing, constricting day after day. Listen to him. This, this is just nature, and I'm just parallel nature with this, this spiritual aspect here in the Scripture. They say female pythons delay reproduction until they have enough energy to breed a large clutch of eggs. Therefore, they say in periods when they have plenty of food, pythons can reproduce in vast numbers. I'm just... I just kind of feeling like uh, maybe she was on the verge of having enough for a reproduction of her kind. She don't reproduce unless she has the energy to do it, but she has to have prey to feed on in order to reproduce, to have the energy to reproduce. I do not want to become a seedbed. I don't want first apostolics to become a seedbed of prey for the adversary just to get ready for its next reproduction of habit. Because he's been on you and you and you and you and constricting, 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 constricting. And honey, I don't want to be the energy. I don't want to be the place from whence he gets his energy. 
to go on a reproduction thing, and then all of a sudden we had three people sick, but now we got five, then we had five, then we had ten, you know, because now that one's got that one going on. What's going on here? No, 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 no. Somebody needs to arise in this house and say this is where the buck stops. Right. Right here. Here we go. This is my last little natural science lesson, but they say naturally, or most of the prey that the pythons go after, they usually always swallow the head first to reduce resistance. You know where your game starts? Usually always. Thoughts. 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 Negative thoughts. I can't make it. This is going to take my life. This is going to be bad. I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life. I won't be able to do the things I used to do. I'm going to have pain in areas, and this is probably going to affect that. Uh, the medication's going to be so high, I'm not going to be able to pay for it. Are you hearing what I'm talking to you about? Going to prayer even. Going to prayer. Negative thoughts. You don't have time to pray. You got a busy schedule today. There's a lot of things you need to get done. You better go take care of those things and then pray at the end of the day. You can't read your word right now. You know you'd be getting headaches whenever you've been reading so you don't need to do that this morning you hear what I'm telling you do you hear what I'm telling you he's messing with your head because he knows if he can get in your head you'll be less likely to resist some of you need to close down your mind when it comes to the adversary you allow him to talk you out of church talk you out of a blessing talk you out fighting in the spirit talk you out being a conqueror honey it's time to draw the line I told you before, he's a liar. So if he's talking those things to you, that means the opposite of just true. If he says you're not going to make it, you know you're going to make it. If he says you're not going to have the money, you know you're going to have the money. If he says that you can't do it, you know you can't do it. He's messing with your mind. Messing with your mind. Starts playing with your head. Starts playing with your mind. Starts influencing your thoughts. Second Corinthians 10.4. Paul said, he said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Watch him here now. Casting down imaginations. Takes place right here in the mind. Casting down imaginations. Every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing in captivity every. What? Every thought. To the obedience of Christ. There's a battle for your mind that's taking place. There's a battle for your mind. If he can get your mind, he'll get your heart. If he can get your heart, mind, he'll get your prayer. If he can get your mind, he'll get your devotion. If he can get your mind, he'll get your strength to go on. If but honey, you already got victory because Christ went to a cross and that cross was impaled in Golgotha, which is the place of the skull, the place of the mind. The blood was shed the blood was shed at the place of the mind, the place of the skull. Right, right, right. So now here we are again. Now Paul's opposition, as it was, comes from... In the form of agreement, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. Just looking at time. It's in the realm of the natural, but it's the natural is possessed by the supernatural. Look what the damsel said again. These are men of the servants of the Most High God, which shew unto us the way of salvation. There's nothing wrong with what she was saying. That was true. For that matter, she was telling, as it would seem, the truth. But here's what happens. Paul addressed this 
to the church at Corinth. Here's what happens. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 12. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse number 12. I'm going to see if there's any spare hankies around here. Hallelujah, there is. It's the will of God. Paul says, but what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. I know that's very wordy. Paul Paul says, what I'm doing, I'm getting ready to do for the purpose of cutting off occasion from others who are desiring an occasion and they're glorying about it that they might be found even as we. He says there's some people that's out there under a deceptive ploy that want to take occasion to do what we're doing, do what we're doing so that they can be seen as though they are with us. Or that we're doing the same thing. Look at verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, Transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Verse 14. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness. Whose end shall be according to their Satan himself is transformed to an angel of light. He tells the Corinthians, I think, what we need to know in Acts. There's nothing wrong with what she's saying. That's all right. Satan even makes himself look like an angel of light sometimes. But if he ever does, know this. It's always for one purpose, and that's deception. Many times, Satan will cause his program to appear to be in line with God's program. Because if he can gain alliance with God's people, it puts him in a good position to thwart what God wants to do among that people because he's the master deceiver. And so in the natural, there can come opposition through the means of agreement. Satan wants to line his program up with God's program. Just good, good standing enough so that he can sway. For that matter, folks, consider this. If people thought, here's this damsel, she's saying these are men of the most high God and they'll show you the way of salvation. If people start hearing her walking around with them, saying this type of thing day in, day out, many days, many days even beyond the days that she did do it, if people start seeing that, they might start to contrive, you know what, she must be with them. She must be with them. And if there are enough people believe that, and time to go on, there's a possibility that she could influence perhaps a group of them in a negative direction apart from the rest of the group. Huh? Because all along it seems like she's been speaking the truth. But the truth that she is speaking is for a purpose of gaining. Your confidence. And then over time, truth becomes mixed with untruth. Truth becomes mixed with lie until she changes it over into a full lie. But you don't even raise a hand on it because you've already given your full trust. And confidence. It's like the proverbial frog in the frying pan. Turn the heat up a little bit. Just a little bit more. Just getting a little warmer. Frog ain't worried about it before. It knows it's a boiling frog and its legs is on my plate. Because little by little, he didn't notice it. And the adversary will come on the grounds of agreement with you until you get your confidence and trust put in that and he'll start lacing that with lies. And before you know it, he'll be telling you bold-faced lies, but you'll be accepting it as truth because you've built a relationship. 
Brother McGee, I would never build a relationship with a spirit of divination. You would if it told you truth to begin with. For more than one reason that Paul say, no, them that labor among you. And so Paul, Paul recognizes the spirit for what it was from day one. However, after many days, he's had enough. He said, the Bible says that he was grieved. That means that he was disturbed. He was strongly provoked, irked, troubled, angered, whatever you want to call it. All of those are definitions of the word greed there in the Greek. He was disturbed. He was provoked. He was irked. Amen. Amen. And it's important to note that he is irked, angered, provoked, if you will, at the spirit of the girl and not the girl. The girl had allowed her life to become victimized by a foul spirit. But the real enemy in this matter is the spirit, not the girl. So the girl is mastered by the spirit of Python, but she also has literal, natural masters as well, according to the scriptures. People were making money off of her doings. Seriously, yeah. We got palm readers today, tarot cards. They, all, they have people that, that make money off them too. If they're not making the money, someone's making money off of them. And so they're making money off of her doings. But note, whenever you look through this and, and, and that, that power is cast out of her, that possession, she is deep possessed of the devil, if you will. Whenever that takes place, these masters of her, they cared nothing about the girl. They only cared about the game. Folks, they're looking to rings like this. There's drug rings. There's sex rings. They don't care for the person. They just care for the games. And say, well, how in the world could they do that? I tell you why. Because they're mimicking, they are mimicking the characteristics of the real adversary who doesn't care a lick about you. I know you thought whenever you was in the world, maybe he cared about you, but I'm here to tell you he didn't care a lick about you. He'd care less what you do with your life, if you destroy your life, if you want to end life, or he doesn't care one bit about you. Only thing he cares about is what he can gain through you. You're disposable. We can do this. I feel confident. I knew I was going to spend a lot of time on the spirit. You want to, you want to capitalize an underscore on the spirit, bless God. So if you, if you look at verse number 12 then, we're backing up just a little bit. Remember, they are in Macedonia. They're in the chief city of Macedonia known as Philippi. The Bible even speaks of this in verse 12. Chief city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. A colony, meaning a Roman colony. And a Roman colony was basically this. This is textbook definition. A Roman colony was a settlement for veteran Roman soldiers who possessed the rights of self-government under Roman laws and freedom from taxes. So what they would have, they'd have some of these veteran Roman soldiers. They would leave Rome to go to these different places to live, be self-governed. And when they lived there and did that, they kind of was claiming that area for Rome and they didn't have to worry about taxes. That sounds like a pretty good deal, don't it? I mean, we can get that going around here. I don't know. <laughs> but if you start reading verses 20 through 25, what happens then? Since the masters of this girl are getting no more gains, man, that hurt business. <laughs> that hurt business bad. And so they're upset at Paul and Silas for what took place here. And so they drag Paul and Silas before the magistrates, if you will, of, of, of this city. Amen. And before the Roman governing ones of this city. And they're saying Paul and Silas are teaching all these things that are contrary to what us Romans should be doing. And so in no time, that no quicker went out their mouth. Man, that incited a riot. They got people there. The magistrates are stripping off the clothes of Paul and Silas. And here's Paul and Silas now naked before them. And they're beating them with many stripes, the Bible says. And the Bible says they're taken to the prison and given to the jailer or the keeper. And he throws them into the inner prison and puts their feet in stocks. I was reading, I know sometimes we get different pictures. We think, you know, they're in stocks. There they are, their feet, you know, clamped over wood. Stocks. But the archaeological digs say this, that the stocks that they had back then had holes of varying, varying widths that went further out. And they didn't just set the people in there just like this. They set their legs out as far as they could stretch them. When's the last time you did the splits? 
and wanted to. Stretched them out as far as they could stretch and put them in stock so that those legs induced cramping. Brother Zach, within those legs, just sitting there, not being able to do anything about it. So they've been beat with stripes. They've been humiliated. They've been shed of their clothes, and they're placed in stocks, and they're put in the inner prison. A lot of people know the story, don't you, Paul and Silas? You about ready to shout, Sister Sheila? Bless God, she is. She's on the edge of her sheet. My God. But there's something, there's a common ingredient here in these three different groups and happenings of Acts 16. Because when they went to the place where prayer was wont to be made, a household was saved. Uh huh. When they go back to a place of prayer, casting out of a foul spirit took place. And now at midnight, when they start to pray and sing praises, another household is going to be saved. And the common component for each of those is prayer. Prayed at the river, Lydia's household. Lydia and her household got saved. Was going to prayer, here comes this foul spirit bothering. Man, I'm tired of this. Get out of her. Let's go. Get in jail. They've been beaten. Wrongfully beaten. Put in stocks. They're in pain, but they're praying. And the jailer and, her and his household, before the night's over, they go be saved. Now let's consider again, why would the enemy be worried if we prayed? And why is he not worried if we don't? Marinate for a week. Marinate. I've often taught Acts 16 at midnight. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I've often taught. I'm going to teach it again. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises not because of their situation, but in spite of their situation. It's not like, oh, Silas, here we are. We got, we got ourselves in jail. We're in the fix here. Your legs hurt. Yeah, my legs hurt too. Boy, my back hurts. Tell you what, this is horrible. Why don't we pray to God about it? No. It's not they were praying because of where they were. They were praying in spite of where they were because prayer was a part of their life. You know what they come to terms with, Brother Gregory Howard? On the good days, I'm going to pray. On the bad days, I'm going to pray. When I'm in prison, I'm going to pray. When I'm walking along the seaside, I'm going to pray. In the morning, I'm going to pray. At noon, I'm going to pray. In the evening, I'm going to pray. It doesn't matter what's going on because I'm a child of God. I'm going to pray. So it's not them using prayer as a crutch, saying, oh, my, it's, it's bad right now. Let me get my crutch of prayer. Hallelujah. Help me along. No, 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 no. It's saying I walk in prayer. Every day I pray. I pray to God because he's worthy to be prayed to. Not because I'm in need of a fix, but I need him every day of my life. I'm just praying. And so I'm in a woe right now. Man, this is just good time, Andy Silas. We got some time on our hand. Let's pray. And let's sing praises unto God. In Philippians 4, 4, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Look, here we are, chief city of Macedonia, Philippi. Philippians is written back to these people that they're among right now, later written back to these. But whenever Paul writes this particular letter in Philippians, Paul is in the Mamertine prison. Paul is in prison. Not the prison that he's in right now, but he's in the Mamertine prison. He's in prison and he's going to write. And he writes this. These are the words of a man who's sitting in prison. If I was in prison, probably it might be something like this. Philippians, whoa, it's me. <laughs> whoa, it's me. I'm in prison. Get the church families praying, my God. We need deliverance. I'm going to die in here. But these are the words of the Apostle Paul in prison, telling those that are outside of prison. Here's what he's telling those outside of prison. He's in prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He wrote those words from prison. 
He wrote those words back to people that right here in Acts 16, he's ministering to right now in Acts 16. And perhaps this is triggering something in their mind. Perhaps this is triggering this whole scenario of when Paul and Silas was in prison in Philippi. Amen. And their testimony was this, at midnight. Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto the Lord. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Huh? Notice it does not say, it does not say rejoice because of your circumstance. It says rejoice in the Lord. Does it say rejoice because of your circumstance? Rejoice in the Lord. Because your circumstances are going to come and go. Your circumstances are going to be bad and good. Your circumstances are going to change. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Paul says rejoice in the Lord. While you're in a, uh, while you're in a changing circumstance, you rejoice in the fact of an unchanging, of an unchanging God. Rejoice in that constant in your life, the Lord. Yes. Uh. That's right, Lucas. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. He would write, later write the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. I hear so many people that butcher this verse. It makes me cringe every time I hear it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the phrase is, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So many people quote that. Good meaning people, nothing wrong, I understand. Good meaning people. But they say, basically instead of in everything give thanks, they say for everything give thanks. And they've been put into this, this, this mind game of captivity telling them, that if you got heart, heartache in your life, let, let's just take it for this. You're going to have both of your legs amputated. Well, you need to give thanks to God that both of your legs are going to be amputated. That's incorrect scripture. Well, you need to thank God that you lost that car. You need to thank God you had cancer. No. It says in everything, give thanks. I'm not thanking God for the cancer. But even though, what it's saying is this, I'm not thanking God for the cancer, but since I am diagnosed with cancer, it's not going to change that I'm going to thank him. Instead of thanking God, thank God that my car is lost, so I don't have the money for the bill. Thank you, God, I don't have the money for the bill. That's not what it's saying. It's saying even if you don't have money for the bill, you go on and give thanks anyway. You're not thanking it for the negative or thanking for the bad or thanking for the horrible. What you're doing is keeping the constant where the constant needs to be. You're giving thanks in God in spite of everything. You understand? I've had people tell me that before. You know, going through. Well, you need to, you need to thank God for that. Bible says for, for everything that give thanks. Baloney. Baloney it does. No. It says in everything. I'm going to be in times of happiness and times of sorrow and times of wealth and times of poverty. But in everything, I give thanks to whom thanks belongs. Because if we'll divert it to giving thanks for circumstances, situations, and gifts, We'll start thanking gifts and situations more than we are the giver or the author. And that's where then prayer becomes the crutch. Good, I give God thanks. Not good, well. <laughs> Keep it around its hand every once in a while. Oh, God. I know it's been a few weeks, years, since I talked to you. Now, Lord, you know we've had a lot of going on in the family. You understand. You better believe he understands. He knows where he's in the pecking order. The Bible says as they did this, the prisoners heard them. This wasn't a silent prayer. 
This was not some singing under their breath. This was prayer and praise that was unashamedly being belted out, if you will, unto the Lord. And those in the prison heard them pray. Let me ask you, when's the last time your prayers and praises was heard by somebody that was bound? If anything, this kind of gets a little closer to me. It tells me this. Here they are in prison. I mean, they got their own things they're dealing with. But let me tell you, those that are bound are listening when you least expect it. Verse 26 through 30. I'm not reading it. I'm just referencing that there for you in case you have your Bibles open and you want to just drop your eyes down there and look at it a little bit. Look at the periods and the commas and such. So there was an earthquake that, that came. In conjunction with this earthquake, the doors the cells were opened. The Bible says the bands were loosened off of them and the keeper of the jail awakened. And when he awakened, he was ready to take his life. No doubt taken in what has happened and taken place. He was ready to take his life when he saw what he did. What if all the prisoners escaped? You know, he would be responsible. The law of the land was this. that If you're, if you're responsible for someone like that, there's going to be meeting any type of even capital punishment and they escape on your, on your watch, then you get, you get the execution or you get whatever they had coming to them. You get. And so he knows I'm a dead man already. Some of these boys were going to have the, you know, they're going to be in the gallows. Their head was off with their head. And he said, so I know I'm going to die already. And so he finds himself some type of instrument. He's going to be taking his, his own life because he knows he would be responsible because his life is responsible for their life. But Paul cries out and hollers and basically affirms, hey, buddy, do yourself no harm. We're all present here. None has escaped. And upon learning this, the jailer comes forward. The Bible says he's trembling. He sprang for the light, and he wants to know. Now, this almost seems a little peculiar, really. He comes forward after all this happening, trembling, sprang for the light, and he wants to know, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, we've had earthquake. Prison doors have opened. He's been thinking about, you know, taking his life. When he learns everybody's there, he's coming forward and says, now, what must I do to be saved? Now, that really, I mean, I don't know how that really lines up. I just, you know... It's almost difficult for me a little bit whenever I just surface read it. What in the world? What's going on here? What is taking place? <laughs> Seems almost almost like a peculiar request here in, in the middle of this. But then again, maybe, maybe, maybe it isn't. Because perhaps, and this is just a perhaps, but perhaps if the prisoners had heard the prayers and the praises of Paul and Silas, Perhaps the keeper of the prison heard the prayers and the praises of Paul and Silas. This is just totally speculation, Brother Andrew, but perhaps that, that keeper was a little impressed that these boys could do this in such a dilemma that they found themselves in. Then again, if he has any tie with the humanity that I'm tied with, maybe he shares this common happening in humanity and society, whenever they're approached with death, not all, but many people, when they're near death or someone dies near to them, they start to think about life after death for themselves. He comes out thinking some escape. I'm going to die. I'm going to take my life. Seems like whenever you get close to death, whether it's your own or someone that's close to you, you start to consider life and life after death. For yourself. So I don't know, Brother Howard, if based upon maybe some of these things he comes for, thought I was going to die. Whew. Thank God they're all here. I'm not. Now, what must I do? See, death is a very vulnerable place for people that don't know the Lord. For their life and heart maybe being open to the possibility of knowing God because they're considering their own end. Paul tells him, verses 31 through 34, I've been up here for a long time. I enclose it in the next five, five minutes. I'm closing out this chapter. Really, it's not like I got a bunch on all this, okay? Y'all doing okay? Okay. Hey, you're not going to hear my voice after Sunday for a few services, so I'm just trying to let you remember what I sound like. <clears throat> so Paul answered him by telling him first, says, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. Believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But he doesn't just stop with that. He even continues. We see in verse number 30, 32, because the Bible says they spake unto him the word of the Lord. So it wasn't just the mode of belief, but there was other things besides what we have recorded here in Scripture that must have been conveyed. Evidently, something concerning the idea of baptism must have took place because the guy was baptized. Now, if someone told me just to believe, I don't think I'm just going to get the whole baptism part of it just out of that word. But he went on instructed. He spoke to them the word of God. Spoke to them the word of God. And after these things, after these things had taken place, then we see that they're going to be baptized. As a matter of fact, not just the jailer, but his whole house gets baptized. And the jailer then is washing the stripes of Paul and Silas and even shows them kindness and feeds them. There's something I want to point out very quickly, very quickly. In verse number 32, whatever, or, or 31 rather, whatever, Paul says believe. That word believe. The word believe in the New Testament. Listen to me very clearly. The word believe in the New Testament is the same word for commit. So this was more than an action of mine, but this is a whole function of surrendering of self. That's important. I'm not just believing on the Lord with my mind. I'm committing my life. To the Lord. Verses 35 through 40. We're wrapping it up, folks. This is it. For chapter 16. So the magistrates send word. Said, you can let Paul and Silas go. Whenever it turns day, go and let them go. Now, these are the magistrates that have stripped Paul and Silas of their clothes, commanded that they would be beaten, and so they're saying they can go now. Here's the clincher. Both Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And they weren't going to allow these mistreatments to go untaken care of. The reason why I say that, since Paul and Silas were Romans or Roman citizens, it was the law in Rome that as a Roman citizen, Paul and Silas had a right to trial before punishment. And these boys were beaten with stripes before there was any trial concerning their quote-unquote misdeed. And for that matter, as Roman citizens, Roman citizens were not supposed to be publicly beaten. Not supposed to happen in the public. But these magistrates are saying, we're going to let you all go. It's kind of like, you know, under, under the, just, just go on ease on out of here, okay. It's almost like we're going to let you go privately, but we beat you openly. Paul says, not on my watch. He said, we, we be Romans. In other words, if, if you publicly beat us, he says, then I want you to show up yourself and publicly release us. Mm-hmm. I want you to publicly release this. And one reason perhaps Paul wanted to do this because he's leaving behind the church at Philippi here. And he went to all the people, all the people that are spectators that really don't know what's going on. All they see is Paul and Silas being taken to jail saying, man, they did something horrible. Well, that's a bad mark on the church. I'm telling you right now. If they ever take me in prison and the spectators saying, well, there's the first apostolic church pastor. He's taken to prison. And they understand that I was doing it because I was preaching against homosexuality. That changes the flavor of everything, according to God's word. But for a spectator, they just see, <laughs> probably had an affair or whatever, you know. All kinds of stuff goes on. Paul, though, he said, you publicly did it. I want you to publicly release me. What's he trying to do? He's trying to safeguard the integrity of his witness and the integrity of the witness of the church that's going to be left in Philippi. Amen. I don't know why Paul didn't mention it right from the go whenever it all started happening. But I do know since he didn't mention it, it put him in a position, put him in a position to come in contact with a jailer whose household and the jailer himself were saved. So we can, we can, we can bat the ball back and forth all day long while it wasn't mentioned to begin with. Maybe he wasn't given to, maybe it happened so quick he didn't have, I don't know. But for some purpose, God wanted him in jail. In order to do, help do what was accomplished at the moment. And you understand with me? And so before he leaves Philippi, they all go one last time to Lydia's house to see them doing what they oftentimes do, see them comfort the brethren before they would depart on their journey. So these again were natural men. He said, you publicly, you publicly did this to us. So then you're going to publicly release us. 
Because we, we have some integrity. This church has integrity. We, we don't want to leave. And then all these people think, well, that, that church that I started over there, man, they're a bunch of, you know, their leader got thrown in prison. We don't need nothing to do with that. No, he said, we got we to safeguard. At the expense of himself, he said, we, we, we need to safeguard the integrity of the church. Because it needs to be a place that others just like them, like the women at the, at the river and that, like the jailer in, in, in the prison, other people like them need to be able to have that place as a place of refuge, hope, salvation for them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to remove the spectation of what happened publicly from the minds of this community by having those same, same people come and release us. So it, it, takes that, it brings integrity back to me and, more importantly, to the church that's going to be left here when I leave. Y'all ready to fight? Huh? You ready to fight? Let's fight. Go to prayer. Go to your word. Let's fight. Let's bow our heads tonight. I'll close with prayer. Thank you for being so kind and patient with me, long-suffering, and all those other adjectives. Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.